Have you heard you can listen to your favorite gripping investigations ad-free? Good news! With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash ad-free true crime. That's amazon.com slash ad-free true crime to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Fiance's on the floor with blood everywhere. A 27-year-old woman with her whole life in front of her found with 20 stab wounds to her body. The world fell out from under us. Oh my God, Ellie, please. There's a murderer out there who savagely, brutally killed our daughter. Was it murder? More than a decade after Ellen Greenberg died, her cause of death is still controversial. That would be revised to suicide, correct? It was a minute suicide, yes. Or was it suicide? Some of the wounds are virtually impossible to be self-inflicted. I want the truth. This whole thing stinks. More than a decade later, it's a case without closure. Tonight, a Dauphin County family continues searching for answers. Her parents are hoping this new lawsuit gets to the bottom of what happened. From here, the Greenbergs will continue through the lengthy appeals process. It's very sad, all the obstacles that the government has put up to put this family through help. We're asking justice for our daughter. This is Unsolved in PA. Hi, I'm Jessica Babb, an investigative reporter for CBS 21 News. I'm taking you inside the investigation of Ellen Greenberg's death, a controversial case 12 years in the making. Was the 27-year-old teacher murdered when she was stabbed 20 times? Or did she die by suicide? Well, that's a question the courts are still trying to answer. So let's go back to the scene together, walk through the evidence, and dig into what really happened. This is part one of Ellen Greenberg, Suicide or Homicide. I think about her all the time. I see Ellen's picture every Friday. I don't go to the cemetery. But if I could walk up to that picture, we did it, honey. I'd feel pretty good. I really would. I'd feel damn good that we did it. Sitting across from Sandy and Josh Greenberg in the living room of their Harrisburg, Pennsylvania home, the memory of their daughter, Ellen Greenberg, can't be missed. She was a bright light. She was a ray of sunshine. She was... Her energy was upbeat and positive. She had a very contagious laugh, and she enjoyed life. In pictures, you can see that energy, with Ellen smiling ear to ear. But those moments that are frozen in time are all her family has left. You look at her picture every Friday? Yeah. What does it mean to you when you see your face? It means I talk to her that I have communication with her, and I still have a daughter. Now the Greenbergs have a goal, to get Ellen's manner of death changed from suicide to homicide. To make that happen, they filed lawsuits against the medical examiner who did Ellen's autopsy and the City of Philadelphia Medical Examiner's Office. Justice for Ellen, that's what we're after. Their mission is spelled out on a simple rubber bracelet they were wearing during our interview. But unlike their black band with purple butterflies, their journey for justice has been anything but simple. And I can look her in the eye on that picture 
I did it for you. So we are just going to start from the very beginning. What happened? There was a nor'easter on January 26, 2011. Philadelphia is being pounded by driving uh, uh, snow. 27-year-old Ellen Greenberg started her day at school, teaching first grade at Juniata Park Academy in Philadelphia. But that day when the storm hit, school ended early. She stayed to call a parent for each child to let them know that the child was going to be coming home early then left and came back to uh, her apartment, which she shared with her fiance, Sam. From that point onward, it becomes a little murky of what actually happened to Ellen Greenberg. We were watching TV and we got a phone call from the fiance wanting to know if we had heard from Ellen, which we did not. I didn't really think anything of it. Then some time had passed, and we got another phone call from the fiance's father saying something terrible has happened to Ellie. I just walked into my apartment. Fiance's on the floor with blood everywhere. That's the voice of Ellen's fiance at the time, Samuel Goldberg. They were about to get married and had just sent their save the dates days before. But I was pleased with the way things were going and she was happy and what more could I ask for? Every parent I think has an idea what the perfect mate relationship would be. We thought this was a good situation. But this day in 2011 was anything but a good situation. This is the 911 call from the moment Goldberg discovered Ellen was dead, provided to us by the Greenberg's attorney, Joe Pedraza. Is this a house or apartment? Oh, oh no. Oh, no. It's an apartment. What apartment number? 603. Apartment 603. 603, please hurry, please. Where is she bleeding from? She, I don't know, I can't tell. She's... No. So you have to calm yourself down in order to get you some help. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. She, okay. I don't know, I, I'm looking at her right now. She, I don't I can't see anything. She didn't, there's nothing broken. She's bleeding. Ellie! You don't know where she's bleeding from? Can't Ellie! Where blood's coming from? It's, I think her head. I think she hit her head, I think. I think but it's, it's everywhere. Okay, so it's everywhere. she might have fallen? Do you know yeah. what happened? She, she, she may have slipped his blood on the, on the table. Her, her face is a little purple. You can hear those chaotic moments. He told dispatch he went to work out, and when he came back to his apartment. I came back up, the door was latched. My fiance's inside, she wasn't, she wasn't answering, so after about a half hour, I decided to break it down. I see her now just on the floor with blood, like she's not, she's not responding. Okay, is she breathing? <laughs> I look at her chest, I need you to calm down, and I need you to look at her chest, it's really- I don't think she, I really don't think she is. But as dispatch starts guiding him through CPR, Panic sets in. Oh my God, Ellie, please! Listen, listen, you can't freak out, sir. Cause you okay, I'm trying not. I'm trying not. Her shirt won't come off. It's a zipper. Rip oh my off. God, she stabbed herself. Where? She fell in a knife. Oh no, her knife's sticking out. Her what? There's a knife sticking out of her heart. 
It's a call Ellen's parents can't forget. So I screamed for Josh to pick up, you know, the other extension on our landline. And um, I'm like, where's the ambulance? There is no ambulance. And from there, things just kept happening. The decedent is found supine in the kitchen with her head and some of her upper body slashed shoulders resting against the lower half of the kitchen cats. There is a knife embedded in her left chest through her clothing. The decedent has multiple stab wounds. This is Dr. Sam Galino during a deposition with the Greenberg's attorney, Joe Pedraza. He was the chief medical examiner for the Philadelphia Medical Examiner's Office in 2011. This is how an investigator from the medical examiner's office described the scene. These words are straight from their report. A few kitchen knives are in the sink adjacent to the body. There is no evident blood. The knife block is on the counter turned over to the side. Also no evident blood. The knife in her body is consistent with the knife set found in the sink and in the block. Next paragraph. The lock, a common solid bar door guard, is broken, obviously forced in, consistent with the fiancé's report. There is no evidence of a struggle in the kitchen area or anywhere else in the apartment. There are numerous valuables present, including three laptop computers. Nothing is missing. There is no note found. A paper booklet is in the decedent's pocketbook, resembles a journal of medications and her state of mind, last dated 116. The only exit to the the only way to exit the apartment with the front doorway locked is through a rear slider leading to a patio. The patio is six stories high. There is snow present with no tracks or footprints completely undisturbed. Based on the 911 call, Ellen was by herself in the apartment at the time. And when Goldberg got back, he told dispatch no one else was there. Been trying to her arm and tell me she responds to pain. Ellie, she's not, she's not, her arm and her hands are still warm. I don't know if that means, but there's blood every, I mean. I know, but you can't, and the knife is still inside of her. How far? Can you see how far it went in? It looks pretty deep. Okay. It looks three, and it's a long knife. Don't touch anything. Yeah, don't touch anything, okay? I'm not touching anything. This is, I can't believe this, though. No, wait, it was just you there with her? We, yeah, we're the only ones here. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Ellen was stabbed 20 times in her Maniunk apartment, but CBS Philadelphia reports that on the scene in 2011, police treated Ellen's death as a suicide. Listen to this. Before her death on January 26th, 
Ellen's parents say she told them she wanted to leave Philadelphia and come home. We knew nothing. Well, the only thing we knew, there was something wrong. And by that, we know that something was wrong. Because on one hand, Ellen had just sent out her save the date for her marriage to her fiancé. On the other hand, Ellen was asking to come home for Harrisburg. It's a dichotomy her parents can't explain. She would say that she was stressed out from school. So I was trying to preserve my daughter's health and her job. Those were my concerns. And that led to other things because I, I made a deal with her. Because since I didn't know how to help her, her condition, whatever it was, we sent her to a psychiatrist. And I, Ellen and I made a deal that she went to the psychiatrist and the psychiatrist said she could come home. She could come home. We were just navigating as we, the best we could. Basically, we thought our daughter was happy. Uh, I thought her home was her safe place. Right. And uh, we thought everything was, until she said she wanted to come home, it made no sense, because why are we planning this wedding? Court documents say around this time, Ellen had become more withdrawn, less independent, and there was a shift in her personality. On January 17th, just days before Ellen died, a psychiatrist noted she wasn't suicidal. On the 19th, court documents continue to say the psychiatrist noted Ellen was, quote, way better. That psychiatrist concluding that Ellen wasn't suicidal or depressed, but was anxious. So Ellen was prescribed medicine to help her sleep. Ellen later told the psychiatrist and her parents the meds were working. But by January 26th, Ellen was dead. Her parents say since then, they've learned they're not the only ones Ellen reached out to for help. Eleven years later, I have, re I have been told that Ellen had asked to go to a friend's house, not even our house, a friend's house, so she could get out of her apartment. And when the friend said, well, do you want, is this you alone or are you coming with your fiancé? And she didn't answer the question. But is it even possible Ellen could have stabbed herself 20 times? Many of them are to her head and neck. Dr. Marlon Osborne is the medical examiner who did Ellen's autopsy. This is what he had to say in a deposition with the Greenberg's attorney, Joe Pedraza. The internal examination uh, showed that <clears throat> there were the final blow that stabbed onto the chest had damaged um, the heart, the lungs, the liver. Um, there are Stab wounds to the back of the neck, the majority of which were shallow, only went through skin and or muscle. Um, one did go um, through one of the, lig the ligaments that connected the, um, between the first of the vertebrae and the base of the skull. And he says Ellen had bruises that also stuck out to him. Beyond the stab wounds, uh, there, there was bruising noted on um, the arms, the hands, uh, or the wrists area, the thighs um, in different stages of healing. All right, and you reached the conclusion of a homicide, is that correct? At that time, yes, that's correct. Ellen's death was ruled a homicide. But here's where this story takes a turn. Pedraza, the Greenberg's attorney, says by the time Ellen's death was ruled a homicide, key evidence had already been destroyed. Because this is the strangest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Court documents say in the morning on January 27th, before Ellen's autopsy was finished, Goldberg's family members requested access to the apartment to get his suit for Ellen's funeral. 
The autopsy has not yet been done, and only the pathologist can determine the manner of death. You know, whether this is a homicide, a suicide, or something else. And the police treat the scene as a crime, you know, preserve it in other words, until they know what the pathologist is going to say. Well, in this case, for reasons we don't know, but we will get to the bottom of, the police allow people onto the premises before they are even informed of the the autopsy results uh, that are done by Dr. Osborne. The property manager gets a call from the uncle of the fiance asking to have access to the premises. And the property manager doesn't know, so she calls the local uh, police station, speaks with the officer who she's been dealing with, and uh, says family members want to go on the premises. And the officer, which we can't quite understand, says, yeah, that's okay, go ahead. Court documents say a crime scene cleanup service was recommended to the family, and they had it cleaned. Those court documents continue to say while the family was there, they left with Ellen's laptops, her cell phone, and other belongings, but left her engagement ring, which Pedraza says was a family heirloom, behind. And then it got a little bit more mysterious because the uncle himself is a practicing lawyer. Those court documents saying the items they took weren't given to Philadelphia police until two days later. So is this negligence? Is this incompetence? Why would they release the scene, so to speak, have it cleaned up, have items removed from the scene before an autopsy is done if that's not standard protocol? Uh, Jessica, your guess is as good as anybody else's, but I don't believe you'll find anyone who will say that uh, allowing third parties to go on premises where a potential crime has occurred before the authorities have determined no crime violates all policies and procedures. It's not only sloppy police work, um, it's, uh, it's incomprehensible and it's offensive. So I asked Philadelphia police why the apartment was allowed to be cleaned and why items were allowed to be removed. I also asked how they respond to claims they mishandled this investigation. But they said they're not commenting because of current litigation. Remember that 911 call with Ellen's fiance? I went downstairs to go work out. I came back up. The door was latched. My fiance's inside. She wasn't, she wasn't answering. So after about a half hour, I decided to break it down. I see her now just on the floor with blood. She's not, she's not responding. Now, you have to remember, even though we've been in litigation, we have not had access to Sam, the fiance. So we have not actually had a chance to sit down with him and have him walk us through it. But Pedraza says this is what they've been able to piece together from evidence that's been shared with them. During that half an hour, court documents say Goldberg was banging on their door, but Ellen wasn't answering. He then tried calling and texting her. During a period of about 20 minutes, court documents say he sent several texts, starting out by saying hello, telling her to open the door, and then asking what she's doing. But then the texts started escalating, saying he was, quote, getting pissed, and saying she better have an excuse. He is sending texts which become, I think by anybody's assessment, more belligerent and threatening as time goes by. Court documents also say during this time, Goldberg went down to the apartment lobby and spoke to Philip Hanton, who was working at the complex. Goldberg asked Hanton if he would help him get into his apartment. But according to his signed declaration, Hanton said he couldn't help. 
That declaration also said Hanton was the only desk clerk and security person working at the time. But the medical examiner's report says an apartment security guard was reportedly there when Goldberg got into the apartment. Well, we spoke with Mr. Hanton, and Mr. Hanton says, I never went upstairs. I've never been in that apartment on that day, period. And I didn't observe anything with the fiancé. Um, and we have the videotape of the lobby, which shows that when the fiancé went back upstairs that last time, he went by himself. And here's something else, going back to that 911 call again. Oh. So there's no sign of a break-in? No, no sign of a break-in at all. I mean, there will be when you get here, because I had to break the latch, but to get in. He says he has to break the latch to get in. Now, think back to what you heard in the medical examiner's report. The lock, a common solid bar door guard, is broken, obviously forced in, consistent with the fiancé's report. There is no evidence of a struggle in the kitchen area or anywhere else in the apartment. The report said the inside lock to the front door was broken, and the screws on the door were loose and had obviously been forced in. But Pedraza, the Greenberg's attorney, says crime scene photos tell a different story, showing the latch was never broken. Now, in order to break through that flip lock, the two posts that connect it, one to the, the frame of the door and one to the door, one or both of them is going to have to be dislodged. It's going to have to break because the lock is engaged. The photographs that are taken that night by the medical examiner's office conclusively prove that both posts are still in place. Neither one was dislodged or broken away, which strongly suggests that no one broke through that door. If you think these are the only things experts have questioned, well, think again. Listen closely to that 911 call one more time. And I see her now just on the floor with blood. Like she's not she's not responding. Okay, is she breathing? She, I, <laughs> look at her chest. I need you to calm down and I need you to look at her chest. It's really I don't think she I really don't think she is. Listen to me. Someone's on the way. Look at her chest. Is she flat on her back? <laughs> she's on her back. Do I okay, bring her? Look at her chest and tell me if it's going up and down, up and down. I don't see her moving. He says she's on the floor on her back. But the medical examiner's report says Ellen was found on the kitchen floor, with her head and upper body resting against the kitchen cabinets. The decedent is found supine in the kitchen with her head and some of her upper body slash shoulders resting against the lower half of the kitchen cats. There is a knife embedded in her left chest through her clothing. Tom Brennan, an expert with law enforcement experience hired by the Greenberg family, says that's something at the scene that sticks out to him. If you walk into the scene and you take a look at the victim, and you just, for, for a few minutes, just study the victim, and you see the blood flow on the face, okay, the victim is sitting in a corner, propped up against the kitchen cabinets. So any blood flow on the face, how should it be flowing? Vertically. But Brennan says the blood spatter didn't flow vertically. Instead, you see it flowing horizontally, which meant to me the victim was in a different position for a significant amount of time for that blood to dry and coagulate the way it was. The Greenbergs and Brennan are unsure why investigators never looked into this evidence further. Instead, he says they've been led astray, with very few people willing to help them figure out what happened to Ellen.
Despite all of that evidence and all of those questions, here's what sparked the controversy. In the weeks after Ellen died, Ellen's cause of death was changed from homicide to suicide. What happened here, this is clearly a homicide. And was the fiancé, Sam, was he ever interviewed? Was he ever a suspect, person of interest, anything like that? Well, there's never been a person of interest because by April of you know, 2011, uh, the police and the medical examiners now were saying it's a suicide. So a suicide is not a crime in Pennsylvania. Sam Goldberg couldn't be reached for comment, but one of his family members accused in the lawsuit of taking items from the apartment didn't want to comment. I also reached out to the Philadelphia Medical Examiner's Office and the city of Philadelphia, who never responded. And my goal is to clear Ellen's name, because Ellen did not commit suicide. This whole thing stinks. I'm going to be very honest with you. When we get into the reasons why Dr. Osborne elects to change it to suicide, um, we're left with the impression that he didn't truly believe that this was a suicide. But how do you explain away homicide? He was so clear that this is homicide. Look at the physical medical evidence, which says homicide. So with 20 stab wounds, why did investigators say she died by suicide? We're diving into that in part two and how a meeting with police may have played a role. Once again, I'm Jessica Babb for CBS 21 News. In addition to hosting this podcast, I also wrote, produced, and edited it. So if you like what you heard, let me know and leave a review. We'll be releasing new episodes every two weeks. If you'd like to learn more about Ellen Greenberg's case, we have more information on our website at cbs21.com. And do you have an unsolved case in Pennsylvania you'd like us to look into? Well, let us know. Feel free to send us an email at news at cbs21.com or find us on social media. Thanks for joining me. I'll see you next time.